She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. California lawmakers suspicious of voter fraud may be getting their wish to have the DMV audited. Launched last year, the state agency's Motor Voter Program registered drivers to vote, but some state leaders claim thousands of errors were made. Government has gotten so big and invasive that it's really good for us to take a step back and say, is this the proper role of government? Or is it really better done and more effectively done by individuals outside of government? Start with the president's approval rating. 610 days now until Election Day 2020. You're keeping count at home, right? And a new set of numbers, an uptick in job approval in the latest NBC Wall Street Journal poll, and some decent numbers in key states. They came from all over. And what we did in 2016, the election, we call it, with a capital E, this has never, ever happened before and now we have to verify it in 2020 with an even bigger victory and now stacy washington <laughs> yeah <laughs> pretty fantastic right uh welcome to the program today it's stacy washington host of stacy on the right here on american family radio and urban family talk thanks for making your home here at afr and Urban. We have a jam-packed show for you today. We're going to chat with Heath Mayo. He's a management consultant and GOP political commentator. He's a millennial. He's on the young side. and He's uh, kind of starting up a new movement, if you will, um, something that uh, is, is kind of going against what we saw last week at CPAC, where I broadcast live from Media Row. And uh, he has some problems with the things he's seeing there, some of the people who are featured there. And so he started his own movement, and he had a pretty successful launch this past Saturday. And so he's going to come on the program and chat with us about that. We're also going to be discussing a number of stories, illegal border crossings hitting 100,000 in one month. So just in case people are going to say the border is not really a problem it's kind of a problem when 100,000 people present themselves at the border in one month, illegally and lawfully. And, and by lawfully, I only mean they're applying for asylum. Um, also, you might notice if you're watching the live stream, I'm wearing a this shirt is an assault shirt. Stacy on the right. <laughs> it's the only one in existence. We used to sell these back when I had the weekend show. Uh, but that, that's the shirt that we have on for today. The shirt, the shirt du jour. And then uh, I have some kind of... Really good news. It's the, the news of the type that you can only point heavenward and say, we know why that happened about a West Virginia church that was destroyed in a fire. And the only thing that survived were the Bibles and the cross. So we'll talk about that as well. And then, of course, uh, on the news um, of things that the president is doing that no one talks about, he has yet again received his quarterly paycheck and donated it to an organization that means something to him. And I'll tell you where he sent that money this time and why he did that, why he chose that organization. Uh, He's not receiving a salary for being commander-in-chief. He's losing just millions and millions of dollars in value. And he's doing all of that because he wants to do the job and he wants to answer the campaign promises that he made to we the people. So first, let's get into the encouragement for today. It's Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 10. I loved this verse today when I was just reading it and kind of meditating on it. And it was very encouraging to me. And I hope it'll be the same for you. 
Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All the people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. That's totally comforting because as you know, in the Old Testament, um, after the Israelites were freed from captivity in um, Egypt, they would eventually make it into the promised land. And then they would have years and years of war and conflict where they had to kick out the people who were in the promised land because God was giving it to them. And then after that, they had war uh, even beyond that during the years of David, because David was a warrior king and they subdued and brought into their own service, the peoples around them, either wiping them out or bringing them into some kind of servitude. And so there was really not a lot of peace going on for the Israelites. They were constantly at war. And in this verse, they're being told to tenderly discuss among themselves how they're now coming out of that period of war and that they get to basically look upon the land in, in a state of peace for a while and that they have become as numerous as uh, you know shoots of grass. So there are many, many, many of them. But they have good news and they're to lift up their voices and shout about it so that they're not afraid and that they can give glory to God for this new kind of era that they're walking into. And for us, what we can take from that is that for everything, there is a season. We will not always be in a state of what is, it's very frustrating right now. I've got so many uh, people have communicated one way or the other how frustrating it is to see the disunity in families, you know, parents on one side of politics and kids on the other and, you know, kids who were, you know, they were raised in church. They went to church and sometime in college while their parents are paying for this college education, the kids leave the church. They leave their parents often will cut their parents off. They marry someone of the same political persuasion. And then, you know, the family is torn apart and the parents are distraught and upset by this. And so my encouragement for any, any disunity at all is that our God calls us to reconciliation, but also when the person is unwilling to reconcile with you, you can still pray for them and you can still seek God's face on their behalf for deliverance. And you have to keep on living. You have to keep on enjoying what God has given to you and enjoying the, the things that you can enjoy in spite of that disunity, that, you know, the, the broken relationship, what have you. It's so sad to see because 
Politics is not the thing that's supposed to be splitting us up as Americans. Yes, we can disagree on it, but we're not supposed to be at each other's throats and unable to have a relationship because of political leanings. But when we see part of the political sphere begin to advocate for killing babies after they're born and completely obliterating the social fabric that really it enables us to have a society going against not just the founding documents, but the very word of God, what God's word tells us we are to do regardless of the politics, it becomes very hard to live peacefully side by side. And I've, I've read a lot of articles by, you know, great thinkers in our, in our society right now who on the left and the right, who said, you know, we're in a kind of cold civil war right now. It's not a hot civil war. We don't have gunfire. You know, we, we don't have hardened positions, but we do have emotionally hardened positions and physically we're separating ourselves. And so it's like a cold uh, civil war between two sides of the country. And I'm really surprised by how evenly split it is in light of the fact that the Democrats are so openly advocating for, you know, the infanticide and, and destroying our, our actual mechanism by which we, we have this, you know, look, like it or not, we founded this country. It was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. And when we remove God from the public arena and try to let man hash out his own morality, we end up with the kinds of crazy, criminal, depraved things that we're seeing all over the place. And people want to ask why. Why are people doing that? Why are people, why are so many Americans killing themselves? Why are so many kids shooting up schools? Why are so many people killing each other? Why are people robbing and stealing and embezzling and why are people it's like asking why is the sky blue or why are men and women two distinct separate entities as opposed to you know a thousand different you know variations of the two it's it's like railing against the wind you can't win that one and these questions come from a place where people just don't understand how depraved and wicked the human condition is without a savior that's who we are so instead of asking why, let's start sharing that truth with those who need it most and living for him completely ourselves. That's a continual choice, something we do every day. And, you know, we've, we fall at, we fail, we, we, we make mistakes, but we get back up and we keep doing it, not just for ourselves, but for those around us who are watching, trying to see exactly what the Christian experience is, what it means, why we're so committed to it. What does that look like? Um, we, we have to do it. So that was encouraging. I loved it. Isaiah 40 verses one through 10. Um, check it out for yourself. Maybe read it tonight before bed. It'll be, uh, help you get into a really restful attitude. All right. Right now I want to go into this story. I thought this was so fantastic. And we're going to talk about uh, Trump donating his third quarter salary also. And then we have some audio from uh, Representative Kevin McCarthy talking about Schiff actually meeting his own standards for recusal. This is a, this is a, Stunning, actual, that, that he thought this up. It's kind of stunning to me because Schiff will never get it. It's like, you know, most other things that we try to explain to Democrats. They're just, it goes straight over. It sails right over top. This is one of those things that Schiff's never going to get or admit to. But Kevin McCarthy makes the case quite well. So this devastating West Virginia church fire didn't burn a single Bible. These are firefighters who arrived at Freedom Ministries Church in Grandview, West Virginia. And they were stunned by what they saw as they were leaving. It was a devastating fire that was so hot, firefighters had to back out of the building at one point. They couldn't handle the heat, even with their gear on. 
and it ravaged through the building. Then they went through the charred wreckage afterwards. They noticed something extraordinary. Everything should have been burned completely to ashes because the building was completely destroyed and a total loss. But in the ashes, they found all of the Bibles that had been in the church. It's a pile of about a dozen intact Bibles piled up right in the middle of the rubble. And they were un, un, unharmed. So they're charred around the edges, but they're not burned. Completely untouched. Kind of fantastic. So I thought that would be a great, uh, great piece for us to think about today. And so this is uh, the third quarter check from the president or from actually from the um, U.S. government. The U.S. Treasury pays um, the president quarterly, he gets $100,000 a quarter. The presidential pay is four hundred grand a year. And President Trump has donated his salary for the third quarter of 2018 to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. He pledged before he was actually inaugurated to refuse the $400,000 salary. And since then, he's kept that promise by donating to a different organization each quarter. So far in 2017, his paychecks went to the National Park Service, the Education Department, the Department of Health and Human Services, and the Department of Transportation. The first two checks from 2018 went to the VA and the Small Business Administration. And now the third quarter check goes to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. The president himself actually never drinks alcohol because his older brother, Fred, Fred Jr., died in 1981 after struggling with alcoholism. Trump said his brother always said to him, don't drink. Don't don't ever do it. Don't drink. And he says the president says he can honestly say he's never even had a beer in his life because of his older brother. His quote is, can you imagine if I had what a mess I'd be? I'd be the world's worst. So the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism claims to be the largest funder of alcohol research in the world. And it's really exciting to see the president making these decisions to donate the money. Theoretically, because he's losing so much money on um, being the president and not running his businesses himself and the onslaught of liberals trying to attack his business interests, you would think that he would just say, you know what, put that 400000 into the Trump organization and use it to you know, invest or shore up some of our, our properties or whatever. Instead of doing that, he's donating it back to the government and back to organizations that are you know, causes that are near and dear to his heart. I know people hate him so much. But if he was all bad, would he be doing that? I mean, 400 grand is a lot of money. I would have a hard time giving that up for no good reason, even if I was rich. So I'm just saying. All right, when we get back, we'll have Heath Mayo, um, GOP political commentator, after these messages. Stay there. You know, what's uh, really nice about our tour of Washington, D.C. and Mount Vernon in September is the fact that we're with Christians who support our ministry from all over the country. We may talk differently, but we have a like mind and a like heart, and it's uh, always a joy to spend time with our supporters. So if you want to join us on the September Spiritual Heritage Tour of Washington, D.C. and Mount Vernon, we'd love to have you. Now, for all the information, the dates, the pricing, everything, go to spiritualheritagetours.com. We'll fill up soon. The June tour is already sold out. We're going to fill up soon for September, so don't delay. We also go to Williamsburg and Jamestown on a tour preceding the 
Washington, D.C. tour. So if you'd like information on either one or both of those tours, go to spiritualheritagetours.com. That's spiritualheritagetours.com. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. I know of a Christian organization that several years ago found its ministry floundering. Things just were not going well. It seemed as if God was withholding his blessing. Um, It was around this time that it was discovered that one of their leaders, sadly, was living in sin. When they addressed the situation, things began to turn around. Not every difficulty we experience is because of someone's sin. I want to be quick to say that. At the same time, what we do and how we live does affect others. Sin that goes unconfessed in my heart and life does affect those folks around me. That's the message in the first part of Joshua chapter 7. This is a story of the sin of Achan. Listen to these words in verse 1 of chapter 7. But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Down to verse 11. Israel had sinned, and they have also transgressed against my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have even taken some of the things under the ban, and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Therefore the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you any more unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. Well, here's what I want you to remember and do today. Search your heart, and if there is any unconfessed sin, anything that you have to repent of, take care of it right away. There's just too much at stake. A transcript of today's Legacy Moment is available online at livingalegacy.org. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for being with us today. It is a pleasure to be with you, and it's also a pleasure to welcome our next guest to the program. We have Heath Mayo, management consultant and GOP political commentator. Heath, thank you for joining the program. Well, thank you for having me, Stacey. It's a pleasure to be here. Sure. So let's talk a little bit about what you had going on this weekend. I was at CPAC on Wednesday evening, Thursday and Friday. We broadcast live Thursday and Friday. And then I jet-setted back home because we had a snowstorm incoming, and it actually turned out to be pretty awful. Um, But I wanted to get back in town before then. So I wasn't in D.C. on Saturday evening when there were – obviously, there was another full day of CPAC where the president spoke. And then there were a lot of gatherings in the evening of which you actually had something new that you started on Saturday. Yes, um, uh, that's right. We did. It was sort of unexpected, actually. I don't know uh, how familiar you are with, with the gathering, but it, it really started about two weeks ago. I, I had sort of grown frustrated. I, I attended CPAC all through college, and even, even after, I think, the last time I went was in 2015. And, um, you know, in recent years, had kind of grown frustrated with, um, I felt that it kind of strayed away from kind of the substantive conservative issues and sort of strayed from conservative principles in some ways. And so I just sort of tweeted out a joke that, you know, I'd, I'd 
thought I'd get together with some buddies in, in D.C. I was going to be down there visiting my girlfriend and uh, thought we'd get together and, and maybe air grievances or something over, over, over drinks. And, you know, went into a meeting on Monday morning and looked down at my phone afterwards and folks all over were wanting to know if there was a meeting near them and they, you know, if they could get involved somehow. And so we quickly scrambled to try to get these events set up and we ended up having 12 uh, across the country of folks just coming together to talk about our principles. Okay. And so when you say the principles that you came together to talk about, what are those for listeners who, you know, haven't had a chance to really see, especially for people who aren't on Twitter or who don't pay attention to what's going on there? What principles are you guys sitting and discussing and kind of hashing out that you felt like weren't addressed at CPAC? Sure. You know, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think a lot of the folks that were inspired to come to our gathering really saw it as a chance, uh, a conversation to, to get back together and talk about what our principles should be. I think the whole, the whole idea was that, that CPAC, which had sort of been this longtime institution of conservative thought, it sort of muddied the waters with um, these personalities that sort of had lost the focus of uh, conservative principles that it used to have uh, to the point where a lot of folks weren't, weren't really sure what it even means to be a conservative today. So, you know, what does it mean? Are, do, do conservatives stand for tariffs? Uh, do they stand for, um, you, you know, some, some of these, these new inventions that, that have become in vogue on the right or, or you know, what, what is the definition of conservatism moving forward? So I think that was that was the hope, was that we could get together and talk about what those principles are today. Um, if they've changed, if they're the same, you know, what does conservatism look like in the 21st century? So I think, um, you know, there were good conversations. I think a lot of the principles that we heard were sort of familiar territory for conservative principles, free markets, the Constitution, faith, family. Um, these are all sort of critical components, I think, still of what folks think of when they think of what it means to be a conservative. Okay, so I can't disagree with you there. And I think uh, some of the things like when you mentioned tariffs, I've never really been pro-tariff or anti-tariff. And I've but I have been very concerned about the fact that all of the deals that we have with, say, the nation of China favor them heavily to the point that American businesses have lost their intellectual property and we've lost a lot of our own intrinsic value in our companies through them knocking off our products and sure. other means of trying to address that issue have not come to fruition. Other presidents have tried to at least communicate with China about this and there's been no movement. And it's been, now we're to the point where Huawei has this uh, 5G network and they've embedded spy software in it and they're trying to get that network installed in Western nations so they can spy on us and lift our property without, they, they don't even have to have us put a factory in China anymore. They can use that 5G network to steal from us. And the president is working against that. And I think what I've seen from people who are moderates or on the right, who are against tariffs, they haven't come up with a solution for how to deal with China outside of the mechanism that the president has chosen to use. Did, what, did that come up in your discussions? What, what, instead of tariffs, what should the president do? You know, I mean, I think that, that that's a pretty that's a pretty detailed policy discussion. I, you know, I think certainly it came up um, came up in the corridor conversations that were had. But I, I just say I think there are options that the president has on tariffs um, and and trade to make trade fairer. There's there's unilateral processes that he's employed by you know hiking up uh, using his authority as president, hiking up tariffs on China, trying to bring pressure 
on their economy that way. But there's there's other multilateral ways to engage our allies to, to work uh, multilaterally as you know conservative Republican presidents in the past have tried. That you know operating from the premise that trade barriers being lower generally are to the benefit of consumers. When trade barriers are lower, um, as, a, as a rule, as a principle, consumers pay less when they go to purchase those products. And, the, and this, is, this is everything from steel, input costs for large businesses. It, it lowers the cost of everything. Um, and so while, while certainly I agree with you that, that China's you know, labor practices and other practices have you know, certainly been unfair at some, at some junctures, I think it's a question of what our fundamental commitment is if we're committed to free trade um, and, and working with our allies to to bring, you know, multilateral pressure on China, the China's economy or sort of going it alone and, and trying to, to browbeat China into doing what we want. Um, I think it's a different tactic. I think it was certainly something that came up in our conversations. But, but again, I think it was, it was that substantive conversation that we didn't think that we would get at CPAC that we wanted to kind of have by coming together and gathering. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you had the gathering. I actually think it's wonderful when people get together, whether they go to, you know, the kind of established gathering, which was CPAC, or if you host your own things. I think I, I would never be uh, negative about that happening because not everyone, <clears throat> pardon me, not everyone can make it to CPAC. I know I've missed the last couple of years just because of family commitments, but I would love to if there was a group meeting, you know, here locally of people that I'd never met before who were having discussions like this. I'd love to go and, you know... It, buy my own food or, you know, buy my own Sprite and sit and listen and talk and, and kind of engage in these conversations. And we do have a couple of think tanks here locally that have breakfasts and policy discussions. And sometimes I make those. So I don't, I think it's great what you're doing and I have yeah. no problem with that, but I, I do. The reason I asked you the question about what kind of solutions were discussed is because you mentioned tariffs and I think the president is getting a bad rap. I, I tend to view things Heath in the actual lens in which they lay. So it's fantastic to say we should apply, you, you know, multilateral pressure with our allies and do all of these things with them against China. But it doesn't actually acknowledge the reality on the ground, which is a lot of our Western trading partners, their political orientation has changed over the past 10 years or so. And so they're not as willing to come to the table and apply multilateral pressure to China as they once were. It's the same thing with their relationship with Russia. And so 10 or 15 years ago, that would have been a fantastic means by which to get this done. But at this point, if we're talking about goods and services being cheap enough, stuff's pretty cheap. You can buy almost anything you want in America. Everything is really cheap. Now we have to look at on the long end, if we allow China to continue to steal from us the intellectual property and the advancements that they're able to get from simply robbing us blind because the ideas and the creativity come from here, then they won't need to do that in 10 or 15 years. And they could literally say, no more China, you know, Chinese factories for you. They could cut us off on the things that we still need from them because they will have robbed us of what they need from us. And so the, the geopolitical positioning that the president is trying to assume is one in which we put our business interests and our intellectual elites, which is what really that's, that's the goal that we have that they don't have. They can't churn out 
the kind of creatives that we churn out that create the kinds of products right. that, you know, go around the world a thousand, a million times that require a hundred thousand screws in, you know, I need a hundred thousand screws in two hours. Their people aren't creating anything like that. They don't have anyone who's created the equivalent of the MacBook Pro or the iPhone from scratch out of their own mind. They dream it up in their garage and make it. That's something that comes from here. And so the long goal, it, you have to see further down than just, you know, I'm a conservative and I hate tariffs because tariffs are definitely something that we're against uh, as conservatives, you know, limiting the market, c- command and control. I'm totally all for that, too. I've read the books. I'm, I'm, I'm down for the cause. But I'm also really concerned about where we are now because previous presidents have not addressed this issue. Um, and so you, you talked about other principles that aren't being addressed at CPAC. And I happened to catch an interview um, that was on CNN. Brian Stelter had uh, Bill Crystal on, and he was saying that there are a lot of grifters at CPAC. And I certainly can understand where he's coming from because, you know, Bill Crystal is a he's a never Trumper. And he himself has written books and sold them. And people at CPAC also, you know, appear there and sell books. I had good friend of mine, Jeff Reynolds, just has a new book out. He was at CPAC at the hub, you know, sharing the book. But I'm wondering if this kind of newfound distaste for people who are selling books comes from not liking President Trump and the influence that he's had over CPAC, or is it really that we don't want people writing books? Because I'm I'm writing a book, and I hope to have it at CPAC at the Hub next year. Or is it really just the writing of the books and selling them at the Hub at CPAC? Yeah, I just think that, you know, we certainly have no problem with folks writing books marketing books and and, and selling books, I I think it's just that when it comes to searching out substantive conversations between folks that are there, you know, with sort of without an agenda, without uh, without a profit motive to sort of come together and just have honest conversations that, you know, I don't think the folks that came to the principal's first gathering, for instance, were really there to hear any speech. You know, we didn't, Bill Crystal didn't give a speech. We didn't have the, you know, any candidate come and kind of hold forth. Um, with a big, with a big, you know, chant and rally session. This was more about one-on-one conversations, um, figuring out uh, what the issues are that we care about, and and sort of moving the dialogue forward. And I think uh, when, when we talk about the word grift, that's what I think we mean. I think it's not necessarily something against it in and of itself. It's just as a forum for serious conservative intellectual discussion. Um, it, it just it just seems to have lost its its, its oomph uh, on, on that metric. So I think folks were sort of just have gotten a little bit weary with what it's become in recent years, and and we're looking for a, for a different method. And I should say, you know, with respect to anti-Trump or pro-Trump, that was not that that was not sort of the 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 meaning of these these gatherings. You know, we had Trump supporters there. We had folks that had gone to CPAC, left CPAC, and came to our gathering. So. It was more about principles versus personalities, not not Trump. I mean, that's sort of what we were trying to get away from. Because it wasn't about any person or any any egos. It was more about the ideas. Well, you know, I really appreciate you saying that, Heath, because in in my mind, the the people that you're talking about that you sat down with and y'all had these discussions, they're exactly the people that we need not to abandon a, a, a meeting like CPAC. There were a couple of moments, which I mean, anybody who listened to the the podcast of the show or or who was listening live when we were broadcasting 
at one point on Friday, there were some individuals who were representing a very specific part of the movement, uh, or I should say their own movement that is now intersected with CPAC. And I was not happy to see them there, but I mean, you know, to each their own, it's a free country. But towards the end of the day, as I'm finishing up my broadcast, last 15 minutes, they just started to yell and chant out in the media row area. Now, clearly, there was no sign there that said you can't yell or chant here, but it would be assumed that if you see, you know, there were at least 40 cameras out there and 53 booths with radio equipment, that that wouldn't be the place to yell out your feelings about how much you love CPAC. But it was an attention getter, a, a means by which they could draw attention to themselves, regardless of the fact that some of us were on the radio interviewing people. And I think when you talk about the grifter component, that that popped into my mind. Now, I don't love everybody that they had speaking. You know, I kind of felt like there is this kind of aura of unseriousness about some of the speakers. Not a, not a lot of them, but there were a couple where I was kind of like, what? What value do these people add for people like myself who I flew, you know, two hours and had to get a hotel room and, you know, went against the weather and all that stuff? I I had to put out and expend a lot of energy to be there. And there were a couple of speakers I was kind of like this. They're not worth me being here. But there were others who I was really glad to see. And I was glad to hear their, you know, their panels The uh, Lisa Daftari of the Foreign Desk had a panel on Thursday morning where they discussed the whole Russia controversy and, and they were not agreeing with each other. And I thought it was a really good, uh, good, good chat that they had. And right. so, you know, it's like any conference, I've never been to one where I was like, this is just a hundred percent, you know, all the way through from top to bottom. There's always someone where I'm like, ah, you know, I probably could have missed that. Um, so, you know, do you feel that you're going to go back or is this new conversations, um, mechanism that, that the way that you're going to get these kinds of information sharing done in the future. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm certainly you know I'm certainly open. I can speak for me personally. I don't know about the other folks that attended across the country our gatherings, but for me personally, I'm I'm always open to go back to pack. I think it was just this year. You know, they had the whole Milo thing last year, and then this year, mm-hmm. I just I, I just I don't know. I, I didn't think that it was going to be a productive discourse, and so I I. I just came up with this idea of getting together with folks outside of CPAC. But, you know, I, I, I think and I and I hope at least that, 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 you know, by drawing this kind of line in the sand a little bit this year, um, you know, MatchLab and the and the powers that be at CPAC will sort of, you know, realize that there are folks out there in the movement who maybe feel a little bit disaffected with the direction that the, the program has taken in recent years. And, and to your point, you know, Obviously, there were great panels, great speakers there, um, but hopefully by drawing the line in the sand this year, we've made a point, and I, and I think they'll probably take into account uh, some of the frustrations that folks are feeling and hopefully uh, improve the program for next year. And, and mm. for me, at least, I, I certainly am open and hope, hope to attend in the future for sure. Well, I think it was pretty fantastic that you got, uh, I think, 13 gatherings across the country from a couple of tweets. So you got to keep that up. That's that's movement activism. And I hope to see you at CPAC next year. Maybe we'll get to meet and shake hands. He's Mayo, management consultant and GOP political commentator. Thank you for your time today. Absolutely. Thank you, Stacey. Have a good okay. one. Okay. You too. Uh, we'll be back with more. Your calls at 866-963-2037, 2037 Be right back. What does it take to be a sports success and a team player? Here's Pro Football Hall of Fame coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. 
Every team has an unsung hero. For the Oakland Raiders of the 60s and 70s, that hero was Jim Otto. Otto played at the unglamorous, thankless position of center on the team's offensive line. He played in 308 consecutive games, the most in Raider history. But his incredible toughness came at the expense of his body, including eight knee replacements since he retired. Philippians 2 says, value others above yourselves, not looking at your own interests, but to the interests of others. Jim Otto was the consummate teammate. He played hard on every snap and received very little glory. He helped everyone around him play at their best. Tony Dungy, best-selling author of Quiet Strength and the Uncommon Book Series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Jay Warner Wallace. I think we're blessed as Christians that we don't believe something that's not rooted in history. We believe something that had to actually occur. As Paul said, if the resurrection didn't actually occur in history, we're to be pitied. And that's the beautiful thing about Christianity, is it's something you can actually investigate. I'm grateful for that because as an investigator, that's exactly how I came to faith. The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference is coming June 20th through 22nd. Learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. Stand by. The BSAC Radio Show spotlights Christian rap artists. But never try to put me on the pedestal. The Lord is working on me. I'm getting better still. Hear in-depth interviews and news about upcoming releases. What's your motivation? All need is Jesus. He's our motivation. Motivation. BSAC is the biblically sound artist coalition. Don't miss the BSAC Radio Show. Saturdays from 10 a.m. to noon central on Urban Family Talk. Fox on Family. Sometimes making friends is easier at summer camp than during the school year. When you go to camp, you can be who you want to be. It gives you a chance to reestablish yourself and reinvent yourself in many ways, away from the school drama. Also away from some of the other pressures in today's social media environment. Father of three, Todd Rothman, owner-director of Deerkill Day Camp in New York, says taking a break from technology is a theme for most camps, making memories in person, not online. Once you actually say you don't need your phones, nothing important is happening out in that world that you need to be a part of. And if you just stay in the present and enjoy today without any sort of digital device, you'll be surprised how refreshing it can be. Oh, he admits it's a challenge. I will say that our campers and our staff take a few days to adjust. It's almost like building up endurance in the pool or getting used to being out in the sun. But worth it. A life lesson to take home about the benefits of unplugging. With Fox on Family, I'm Lisa Brady. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. California's DMV has been rife with scandal. On Wednesday morning, lawmakers agreed to yet another audit, this time focusing on the program that registers drivers to vote. The problems with motor voter difficulties has been raised to such a significant degree that there is a bipartisan effort in this. The department has admitted to mishandling voter registration information for 23,000 drivers and double registering as many as 77,000 others. Assemblyman Jim Patterson claims over 500 Californians may not have been able to vote last November because the DMV did not send their information to the Secretary of State's office in time. 
The errors include uh, registering 16-year-olds to vote and actually sending them ballots that they could vote uh, through the mail. We have uh, numbers of people who had their registration changed without their approval or knowledge. The Fresno County Clerk's Office says it's no secret the DMV had processing problems last year, but it appears those issues have been straightened out. Wow. So, okay. Now, a lot of people are pointing out, you know, rightly so, that that how can we be trusting of the very people who seem to love voter fraud, investigating voter fraud that was kind of put on by them? Like, they they messed this thing up to the tune of 77,000 illegal or improper registrations. And that's significant. 77,000 is more than enough to sway at local elections. And it can be very pivotal, uh, pivotal in, in a statewide election like Senator or, you know, in a house rep seat. So this is something that has to be corrected. But the, the, the question is after this news reporting, what happens? You know how that is. The, the initial story comes out. There's a furor over it. There's a lot of discussion and news reporting. And then all of a sudden, the story's out of the news. We've moved on to the next thing. And then what? What's happened then? Has anything been done? Has anyone been brought to justice for dereliction of duty? Uh, that's something that we'll have to kind of keep our finger on the pulse about ourselves. Um, we don't know. We, we actually don't know what's going to happen. Um, so now I want to get to that audio from... Representative Kevin McCarthy, this is about Schiff recusing himself. Now, why would Kevin McCarthy be concerned with Schiff recusing himself? Well, let's listen. It's number three. There is no collusion, so they want to build something else. They want to persuade to go some other place. Listen, Nadler says he wants his impeachment. Listen to, he said he had proof ahead of time. You have Schiff who said he had evidence long before the investigation happened. He's never produced that. And now listen what we find out about Schiff in the Cohen hearing. He talked to Cohen. He met with Glenn Simpson, we found out, even when the own committee said they had problems with the truth in his own hearing. Schiff actually tried to stop us from finding out who paid for the dossier, the Democrats. Schiff has now met the Schiff's own standard of why Devin had to recuse himself. Adam Schiff needs to recuse himself for any new investigation. Devin, you mentioned Devin Nunez. He wants, says the entire Mueller report underlying evidence should be made public. Do you agree with that? Yes. Mm, yeah, every email, every bit of it. And as soon as that was made public that... Republicans are saying, yeah, make it public, make the report public and everything that went with it. All of a sudden you see Democrats going on CNN and MSNBC saying, well, we don't mean everything. I mean, the emails, that's that's still classified that in other words, we want the report so we can doctor it and and spin it and make it into whatever we want. But we don't want that underlying evidence out there because that underlying evidence might be exculpatory in favor of the president. It might make it look like we were on a witch hunt to undo the last election, which is what one of the Democrats said on TV. He said, well, you know, what we have to do is we have to kind of make sure that Americans don't think we have to convince them that we're not trying to um, undo the results of the last election. Well, why would they need to convince Amer Americans of that if that's not what they were trying to do? In other words, we need to snow Americans. That's what we're trying to do. But we need to snow them and convince them that that's not what we're trying to do. I mean, do you like really, really bros? Yeah. So anyway, um, I was really disturbed that in addition to everything else that's going on and the president has so much on his plate and so much that he has to deal with, 
we have this. It's roiling. It's like it's it's still bubbling. It's boiling. It stinks. It's it's the swamp at its worst. And they're not going quietly into that good night. They're not going to let this go. They're going to keep doing what we're seeing here, which is just bringing up stuff that's not real stuff that that has nothing to do with collusion. They're just going to keep doing whatever they can to keep that at the forefront. Um, So I I mentioned that the president's approval rating has continued to climb. And this to me was great news because it means that somewhere in America, a lot of Americans are, are breaking through the echo chamber of the mainstream media and they're getting between the weeds and they're making their way inside and they're actually getting some real news about what's happening. And that's pretty tough. Now you have to actually say to yourself, I'm going to go out online on my laptop or my phone and I'm going to find some alternative news sources. I'm not just going to turn on my television and listen to that. Oh, and huge shout out to people who've been reaching out to me about the documentary that we did on taxes and the tax cut that we did here in the state of Missouri that uh, documentary has been airing all over television networks in Missouri, and it's been great to see the feedback from people who really understood what we were working with there. took a long time to put together, and I was really honored to be a part of it and to get to, uh, to kind of be the host and moderator of those interviews. It was great. So President Trump's approval rating is actually still going up. This is an NBC News Wall Street Journal poll, which was published on Monday, puts President Trump's approval rating at 46% among registered voters. His real clear politics average rose to 44.4%, his highest mark since October of 2018, following the confirmation of Justice Brett Kavanaugh. So Trump's highest RCP average of his presidency was 46% just after inauguration, and it has been below 44%, only briefly returning above that level in May, June, and October of 2018. So the numbers still indicate that the president is vulnerable heading into 2020. I kind of wonder about the methodology. And I I wonder, you know, obviously it is better for the Democrats to paint the president as being vulnerable going into 2020. If he's vulnerable, it means they have a chance. It makes their candidates look stronger and it sets the electorate for the possibility that he might not win. That depresses voter turnout. So if you think about that just for a second, what would you want to do? to your opponent if you were running. And, and, you know, obviously for people who just want to run on their own merits and win based on who, you know, runs a better race, who uh, uh, the best contest, you're kind of out of this question. But for people who are going to win by hook or by crook and they don't mind scratching their opponent's eyeballs out, this is the perfect scenario. You just keep showing the polls, putting the president in a really weak position. It, despite the fact that the president enjoys a, I think, 88% approval with men, in, re- in the Republican Party and 98 percent approval with women in the Republican Party. But somehow he's not going to get all those votes again. Well, how can you ensure that he doesn't get those votes by depressing voter turnout, by convincing those men and women who approve of what he's doing, that he's vulnerable going in and he has no way of winning? Then they'll probably say, well, you know, some of them, a significant number, significant enough to sway swing states and whatever might say, well, I'm just going to stay home because I can't believe it. They've won again. Nobody's won anything. Yes, we're in campaign mode and 2020 has begun as far as the campaign season, but no one has won anything. And if there's anything we know as as Christians, it's that God is known for coming into these situations where it looks kind of hopeless and showing up and showing out. 
So I'm telling you now, first of all, be encouraged. That is a continual refrain with me because I need to hear it. So be encouraged, Stacy. be encouraged. But also, it's, it's not over. This is not over. So the best thing for us to do, instead of worrying about whether or not someone can win or someone can lose, is to go out and share the gospel with in, just anybody who's in your circle who you know doesn't know the gospel. Share it. Get that out there and worry about that and the rest will fall into place. I, and of course, for people who are working on state committees and doing things like that, you know, more power to you and keep doing that good work. I'm not encouraging you to stop that, but I'm talking about the real thing we're here to do, which is, you know, disciple all men so that he can draw all men unto it. Yeah, that, that, that whole thing. That's what we're supposed to be working on. <laughs> so um, this Poll is an NBC Wall Street Journal poll. 41% of registered voters plan to vote for Trump, while 48% say they plan to vote for whoever ends up becoming the Democratic national candidate. Now, I became aware way back when, like, you know, eight years ago, when I first started filling in for people on radio um, or, or doing radio interviews, that these polls, they actually sample the Democrats plus nine. So they get 9% 9% more Democrats than they do Republicans, which accounts for this swing here, doesn't it? 41% to 48%. Because if they oversample the Democrats, they're always going to have the result they want, and the Republicans are always going to look like the underdogs. So I don't really trust this, unless I know that they didn't do that Democratic oversampling, which has become basically the mantra, the way that they do polling. They say, by contrast, at this point in former President Obama's presidency, he was 45% of voters said they plan to vote for Obama and 40% preferred a generic Republican candidate. Now, the disapproval rating for the president remains high at 52%, but it's an improvement from 54% in uh, December and January. So, you know, on the whole, it's good news. When you unpack it, it's not as steady, but it's still, you know, I'll take it. Um, When you look at the array of individuals who are currently working to spread lies like someone some some highly favored future blessed person so I don't have to insult them on this good Christian radio air um, sent me a screen capture of Washington Post I think the Washington Post and they have so you know how on your phone if you swipe right You get to the news section and you can scroll down and some of it is news that they've curated for you based on websites you visit and some of it is just straight up news like whatever the headline is. This person sent me an image of a Washington Post story from their their news aggregator and it showed that um, it says New York Times. It's Apple News. So he's using an iPhone. It says... The New York Times, Michael Cohen said President Trump told him to lie in 2018 about hush payments. Join us for highlights and live coverage of his house testimony. Um, And then, of course, his Credit Sesame account. I'm not sure why he wanted me to see that, but that was there. And this image he sent me is from Wednesday, February 27th, and he just sent it to me on Monday, um, you know, and late in the afternoon during the show. And so... You know, we, I, so first of all, I don't pay attention to the Washington Post or New York Times. It was actually the New York Times. I don't pay attention to the New York Times unless there's something in there that is specific to a subject. I'm, I'm just not over there perusing their crap and otherwise, am I? No. Why would I do that? So he's sending this image and I'm not sure why he sent it, 
But I understand that this is what they're parroting out to people. And if you're just reading the news and accepting it whole cloth, you know, just take take three spoonfuls of that garbage, you know, four or five times a day, then you probably think the president is like one second away from being pulled out of the White House by a SWAT team. That's not so. This is not proven that the president told him to lie. Michael Cohen himself is an admitted liar, and he's been convicted of lying to Congress. And that doesn't mean he can't tell the truth, but it impugns his character. His credibility is damaged, and there's no reason why he should have been testifying before Congress last week with cameras on him. If anything, he should have been testifying in closed doors because he's convicted of lying to Congress. He is not credible. He should not have his words spewn across, uh, you know, newspapers and uh, cable news programs because of his lack of credibility. And I, I'm not saying that because he says things that I don't like about the president. It's because he's been convicted of lying to Congress. That's why. It's pretty simple. That's that's the reason why I don't trust what he says. So, oh, actually, we didn't we didn't go to the phones and take any calls, and it looks like we're we're good there. Um, so we will have to save over this stunning statistical. Um, information about the fraud behind the global warming movement. But I do want to say um, there was this other story that I thought was pretty interesting. So you remember when I covered last week, I think it was, or it might be the week before about the kid. And I say kid loosely. He's like 18 or 19 years old. He drove down from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho to visit his family. And I think his mom was in the hospital and she was sick. And while he was there, there was a snowstorm. And so he went back up and got his equipment and came down and made $35,000 over the course of four days shoveling snow like with his snow plow on the front of his truck uh, for you know commercial buildings churches and people's driveways he was charging 500 to 750 per job and he was just working around the clock and I talked about how you know this this is America where it's the land of opportunity well this is an interesting story about Trader Joe's everything but the bagel spice now first of all full disclosure I do shop at Trader Joe's but I don't I've never had this spice before which I'm totally like I've added it to the list I want to try it and I did check on Amazon to see if it's sold on there by an independent seller, and it is. So it's Justin and Kristen Herbert have a good side hustle. They actually go to Trader Joe's and buy dozens of everything but the bagel spice bottles for $2 each. They then ship them to Amazon's warehouse. So what they do is they take each individual bottle and put it in a plastic Ziploc bag that they buy from Amazon. Then they ship all of those individually packaged bottles of everything but the bagel spice they ship them to Amazon and Amazon puts them in the warehouse in the fulfillment area. And then these people place a sales little, little ad. It's a little place where you can purchase on Amazon.com and they sell them for more than the $2 that they paid. Since they've started, they've made $30,000 doing this. Why am I sharing this with you? Because a lot of times I, you know, I've, I've been around, I've heard people say, there's just nothing I can do. I can't find anything to do. I need to make extra money. Yes, you can. You can buy spices from Trader Joe's and resell them on Amazon and make 30 grand. You can shovel snow over four days during a winter snowstorm and make $35,000. This is America. You can do it. All right. You're leaving us now. God bless from the heartland. If you're sticking around, give news and information up next.